Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Marvel Knights Daredevil issue number one pops off, man. Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada, Jimmy Palmiotti on the ones and twos, man. Giving us a fresh perspective on Daredevil by way of that Marvel Knights. Uh, what were some of the other things, man? You had Inhumans, you had that... Punisher, where... Uh, he's Punisher, like a death angel. Yeah, that's exactly right. Kind of Punisher crossed with Spawn might have been the pitch. <laughs> but Bernie Wrightson... Is that, that, that's Bernie Wrightson, that is, right? That late, is Bernie Wrightson. Era, Bernie Wrightson on The Punisher, which I think they've just sort of erased from continuity. Yes. And uh, I forget what the third, what the fourth title was. Yeah. But it was kind of like a mini run for Joe Quesada and, and company. I think he and Palmiotti. But I remember it, it was a big deal. Like, uh, I'm, I'm working at that point and reading basically all the comics websites I can find. Yeah. And this was Marvel still sort of climbing its way out of the, the doldrums of the 90s. And uh, I think this is late 90s, yeah. but it's the trial run is the way that I viewed this Marvel Knights imprint for what goes on to happen. Nobody would have known it probably at the time, but I mean, like, this is Joe Quesada taking some little editorial experiment. Yes. This uh, this roots it in time because Pokemon is brand new. Whenever uh, I was a kid, because I'm still in high school when this thing is going down, man. Uh, me and my friends, we discovered emulation in video games, and we found the Japanese version of Pokemon. And... Even though it's an RPG and it's in Japanese, you could still kind of figure it out. We were so blown away by it that we made our own iron-on shirts with our favorite Pokemon because we could never imagine that it would come here and that uh, we'd ever be able to buy a shirt in a store with Pokemon characters. The next summer, forget about it, dude. <laughs> forget about it. And the shit was in the little kid section and Target couldn't really mess with it, man, because I didn't know that my guy was called a Squirtle. <laughs> Snorlax. Uh... Let's jump right into things, man. Uh, this era, Joe Quesada, I, I go to art school, year 2000. A lot of dudes had that, uh, this Joe Quesada image poster uh, on their dorm room walls. He was a big influence at this era. People were drawing these kind of squared off fingers, drawing boots with seams, gloves with seams. You're seeing like little bits of filigree that uh, you just didn't see in other people's superhero comics doing this wild shit with uh, the ropes. Like everybody had ropes and would do this with their Batmans and, and, and stuff like that after Casada showed up. That rope gimmick's pretty smart considering Spider-Man's success. I feel like it's bring one visual element over from uh, from the flagship character. Makes me think of uh, McFarlane Spider-Man. Uh, totally. Just like, you know, bring whatever you can to the table to make the character interesting. And doing this stuff, I mean, he's about to tie himself into a knot. This could almost be a Mad Magazine cover. <laughs> like, like, the very next moment is the Mad Magazine <laughs> cover, dude, when he's, he, when he's all tied up. Um, getting Kevin Smith was a big deal. Yeah. You know, at the time, I, I remember that being, like, comic book fans were super excited by it. At least online, it seemed like that was the, uh, the, the level of excitement. And, you know, you're getting your money's worth, I guess, out of Kevin Smith. That's a lot of words there, Ed. Those guys were connected in some way, like... Uh, Joe Quesada I did uh, artwork for the title screen in uh, Mallrats. Uh, he did a comic book cover that he would surely want to forget about from uh, Chase and Gamey. And I think you might even see him and J Jimmy Palmiotti in that, in that uh, comic book convention sequence in Chase and Gamey next to you know, Dave Lapham, next to Mike Allred. And I believe I ever heard so, uh, or uh, yeah. Hardy Fisher uh, <laughs> might pop in one or two times. Certainly, some of his shirts show up. So those guys, they're all connected. Yeah, and Kevin Smith, obviously, comics fan, and wearing that on his sleeve every chance he gets. Uh, first note for me, though, rereading this because I haven't read this since it came out, is the the font they choose for this 
3,000 word opener almost unreadable. A lot of unreadable fonts in this era. They started to experiment with uh, lowercase lettering, like in the uh, Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon Punisher run, and that uh, kind of throws you for a loop because the caps letter would be the size of about these letters, so then the lowercase is even smaller than that. I was so mad when they started doing lowercase letters. Pretty it just tough. didn't feel like a comic book to me. Pretty tough, man. Uh, so... Kevin Smith trying to pack a lot of stuff in here, man. We got a sort of breakup letter in Florid Prose by Karen Page on one page. We have uh, Immaculate Conception. <laughs> I almost said reception because you know we're Pittsburghers, right? <laughs> it's football season. <laughs> uh, we have that going on. There's fire or something. Ladies and gentlemen, Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by two Eisner award-winning New York Times best-selling comic book makers Jim Rugg, Ed Piscor, and the show is subsidized uh, daily by the comic books that we sell uh, and the works that we have that are forthcoming in 2022. Jim Rugg uh, in March has Hulk Grand Design Monster coming out uh, March 30th. March 30th, man. These paper shortages are no joke. He's distilling down 500 uh, issues worth of Hulk comics into their purest essence and making two 40-page one-shots that are going to take all the best bits of that history of Hulk, uh, combining it into these individual issues. And it is a romp like no other. Got to get your hands on that thing. Uh, goosed by a couple of variant covers for Monster. Got the Marcos Martin cover. You got the Peach Momoko cover. You got the Eddie P. by way of Todd McFarlane, Herb Trippy cover. Uh, these are not retail incentive covers, which means uh, you yourself can go to the comic shop, tell the uh, comic shop owner that you want all four covers. You will have all four covers in your pool box uh, the week that this comic comes out. Once again, those paper shortages, man. No joke. Red Room, uh, the Antisocial Network is the comic that is on the stands right now, but this is just the 2021 season of Red Room Comics. It's a new year. 2022, we'll see Trigger Warnings, issue number one, March 9th. This is the cover for the actual uh, issue one that you will see on the stands. Not only are there paper shortages, there was a ransomware attack at the distribution house. So uh, all the stores were not able to order these in the proper timely fashion. Might be kind of a rare comic. I'd like to see it sell out on day one. Uh, goosed by some more variant covers. This is the Eddie P. Retail Incentive cover. Jim Rugg, uh, King K. Faber, has done a cover that is representative of Zap Comics Zero by way of Robert Crumb. And Peach Momoko comes in in the clutch to provide a Mistress Pentagram cover to top that off. Uh, we have Patreons in the link tree below. We have uh, links to get to our books in our link trees below. Now that we're done paying the bills, back to the video. Kevin Smith, uh, fa famous Catholic, so uh, gravitates toward the Catholic uh, superhero. I always think about that with, uh, with these memorable runs on Daredevil and how like the religion of the creator plays into it. You know, John Romita Jr., great Daredevil artist. Frank Miller, another guy who, uh, you know, is, is, is on that Catholic uh, theme. And I always think like Daredevil uh, is really grafted onto that. Yeah. Got our girl running with, uh, with a baby, man. That's, that's, that's high stakes. You know, that's something that uh, can get your juices flowing and, and uh, get you 
get you nervous for this character getting chased by these VIPs. Yeah, this it feels like they had a story conference and figured out like you do want to keep the essence of Daredevil with the church imagery with this main storyline and uh, and you're seeing a ton of it here in the opening as Matt Murdock is in confession whenever he hears the heartbeat of this girl running from a speeding uh, car chasing her down. When you have when you're doing comics, man, you don't want the drawings to get ahead of like the storytelling part of it. That does not look like a nice fella right there. I, I didn't realize that was Murdoch when I when I flipped to this page and I'm like, oh, is this the guy who's killing babies? Right. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's just our boy Matt in the confessional. How many times have you seen this in a Daredevil comic? That's what I'm saying, you know, it could almost be a checklist of what you need in your Daredevil comic. This is playing the hits, man. You gotta hear a frantic heartbeat out in the mix you got to figure out how you know this is a stan leeism right here but it's told by way of frank miller storytelling where you have two disparate scenes happening simultaneously uh lacks a little dynamics to to be honest because he keeps the motif and then zooms zooms out it is interesting this this could almost be like a bendis kind of talking head sequence where mm. you have almost the same angles and everything running through a page right Still that era of computer color, man, where a lot of modeling, a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, what's the title of this comic? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting look. Oh, man, that's a lot of lettering. Guys are really trying to earn their paychecks, I suppose. Hallmarks of what Joe Quesada was kind of, kind of like known for, the stuff that, that people pulled for their own comics. Uh, these kind of squared off fingers, like I said, the seams, actually starting to put wrinkles in the stuff, and drew some pretty cool Humberto Ramos type boots. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Um, I would add like a Mike where Ringo, I see some of some of Ringo's style, which may have been lifting from this. You know, this may have influenced him. You know, not saying which direction this stuff's flowing, but it definitely this is a look that I think you could find in different comics, um, probably for the next decade following this. He would do some interesting stuff like having like the all black with just the mm -hmm. red on the on the boots and the logo, the belt. Yeah, it looks sharp. Pretty cool. And the proportions are interesting. Big hands. Big hands on our guy. That's something that, uh, see this has taken me back to a very specific era where I was around 30 different artists every single day. And uh, one of the things that they liked from Quesada uh, was these kind of like extra big hands. wonder if that comes from Miller around that time, because Quesada's talked about Miller being a big influence, and I mean, some of these hands really remind me of some of that sure. kind of late Sin City era Miller. Always fun watching Marv take a pill bottle apart <laughs> <laughs> when it's this big in his hand. All right, so the VIPs are uh, stopped at the very least. Oh man, I got this for Christmas one year. Good game. Then you gotta have the uh, attorney at law sequence. Braille freaking speed dial. How about that shit, Jimmy? That's thorough. Yeah, he talks about having to pretend to be to to be blind at one point in this. Man, I am I am st like struck by the word count on these pages. So it's Kevin Smith, man. Not not quite Aaron Sorkin, but he has his uh, approach. Not quite Tarantino when it comes to the dialogue, but he has his approach, and it usually is beyond monosyllabic see the bad guys that are chasing down trying to get that baby and uh and failing the aftermath of their car accident there on their foreheads 
For sure. And this is how they get dispatched, man. They're going ISIS with that shit. I was reading this and thinking, like, of the uh, impractical part of filling an elevator near the top of the building with water. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, but it's going to get the rest of your boys in line. They're going to try not to fail uh, if, uh, if you go so theatrical with dispatching your, your homies. This is so funny. I was you know also pretty they, good at yo-yos. They, at that they also introduced kind of the bad guy, uh, Heavy, Mr. Gabriel. This is like your wrestling vignette to introduce him. That's right. how he dispatches these guys. And Gabriel, very on the nose, uh, religious <laughs> name. Very on the nose. Look at that, man. I've, I've done that pose in yoga. I bet you this page looks amazing in uh, black and white. Mm -hmm. This is like the perfect point size for comic book lettering, by the way. That's a, that's a good font size to me. And this would be the inner dialogue of, uh, of Matt Murdock. This is that era they're playing with all the different fonts for the different points of view. It's funny, I was reading this and now and then there'll be um, like an action sequence or something and you're reading all of the, uh, the narration and thinking of like, it took me 14 seconds to read this panel, you know? Meanwhile, it's like a very quick sequence. And by the time you get done, you spent five minutes on him like just knocking out this rapist. And it reminds me of like old Stan Lee fight scenes where like everybody's having a big conversation and meanwhile they're trading punches. It should take like two and a half seconds for the whole page, but you've got five minutes of dialogue. The argument that you could make with the with the with the uh, thought balloon is that you know the mind can compute many thousands of uh, tasks like per per second. So this is all happening per second, man. But you're right when they start having like a paragraph of discussion, mid mid punch. Right. It's two different time zones. And this guy, the uh, the sexual assaulter here in the alley, like, what is he out of? I'm not even sure that's central casting. Yeah, I know, man. That's what happens with a bunch of cartoonists who just stick around indoors drawing comics all day. You just draw your worst nightmare uh, as, as like, the, the villain. Here's our girl. It's having visions. I like some of the stuff they stitch in. Yeah. It feels different. And, there were the, you know, we saw that in backgrounds on a couple mm -hmm. of the early pages. So Weird etchings and stuff. Kind of a neat a neat thing to add yeah when she shows up at the office and that's what we're getting a lot of push-pull Matt Murdock detecting her by the time he shows up she disappears uh, to until she just shows up straight up at the office and when she does reveals that you know she's 15 uh, she's a, she, she's a virgin but had a baby and look at that baby <laughs> babies are hard to draw yeah uh, <laughs> She's a virgin, has a baby. Her family didn't believe her. People want this baby. I uh, I love to criticize brown pages. A lot of brown on this on that spread. That's goddamn right, man. It's weird era of computer coloring, man, and just having those highlights on everything. Here's the piece where she's talking about her immaculate conception. It's freaking him out. Yeah, and, and the uh, the punchline there in the bottom panel, a good cliffhanger panel, is she calls him Daredevil. Yeah. From, from these visions or dreams that she's having that's been revealed to her. Yeah, man. Hands the baby off, drops out of sight, and a good last page splash where uh, you sort of see where everybody's at, man. You see the looming Daredevil shadow, with that worm's eye view of uh, Matt Murdock holding the kid, Foggy Nelson looking like Humpty Dumpty Doo. <laughs> you see the, uh, I don't know, his girlfriend, secretary lady, not too impressed. Possibly a client. There's some lady that uh, Foggy wants them to do divorce proceedings for because her husband sterilized her without her knowing it. Right. And that brings up some religious language in an earlier scene 
uh, again, laying on the religious, in, in case you don't get the religious overtones of this issue, <laughs> let's really drive it home in every single scene and subplot. Um, so I think that's who this is. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, man. I, I came away from the reread of this because I had read this as like, you know, like all of them whenever they came out. So I kind of think of this story more as the whole story. And from a single issue, like, I just, it's its baffling to me. Like, this is the era whenever I start to, like, completely stop with the Marvel comics because, like, I just, I don't want to spend eight months trying to read a story. Like, maybe at the eight-month mark, I'll just buy the book if yeah. that's the way it's packaged. And this issue kind of feels that way to me. There's not a ton here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like they're trying to do a lot, you know, try to get a lot of it's, stuff it, on the page, but it ultimately ends with... You know, it's it begins and ends with this girl on the run hands off a baby to him, you know, and, and you just get maybe a tiny little bit of character stuff in between. Uh, I'll be honest, you know, I picked this up off the racks, was very excited uh, because of, you know, the coverage in Wizard Magazine and everything. Read this. I don't have issue two and I've never read issue two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like <laughs> this, this was enough for me. Yeah, it's... Um... It, I think there was a bigger conversation in the early 2000s about writing for the trade. And it was, how do you make these issues stand on their own or be interesting on their own? And I think that's something this issue fails to do because you are introducing you know, Mr. Gabriel and this divorcee and all these different pieces. And you need them, obviously. You're, you know, they're part of the, the bigger story. But you've got to figure out a way to make these things compelling on their own. And I don't know that, that, that this issue delivers that. Can you spoil any of this shit with this Immaculate Conception? Is it just... Uh... Honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. Because, again, it's spread out over all these months. I think that this series was delayed. I think there were some some problems with... I think Kevin Smith was, was blamed Very for famous. it being yeah. like, uh, late or whatever. But, you know, that was part of it, too, where it's like, clearly this is part of a longer story, and now it's not even being delivered monthly, you know? Yeah. Um, so... I, I actually don't know if I stuck with it clear to the very end, but right. I did get issue two. I know I stuck with it for a few issues. Did you get up to Mysterio? Th yes. Joe Q draws a good Mysterio. Definitely. Kayfabers, put some stuff in the comments. Spoil the story for us uh, so, <laughs> so that we don't have to, you know, read ahead. I would add, disappointing in that, like, you show up for Daredevil and you get very little Daredevil action in this issue. That's true. That's true. Yeah, like, Kevin Smith coming off of, like, very talky teenage comedies like can the dude do do action you don't see too much evidence of it here maybe a page or two and joe and that's that's where joe q really seems to flourish this was also certainly that era where the penciler did not want to be drawing these kinds of pages like that era of penciler in the 1990s they're trying to draw action stuff they're trying to draw fight scenes like that's their steez also that's where the market's run and go to our dave gibbons shoot interview where we're unpacking Daredevil, I mean, Watchmen number 12, and he's talking about selling the more talky pages of Watchmen for nothing because the comic fans wanted costumes and fight scenes. Yes. That persisted for a very, very long time until Heritage Auctions started taking comic art more seriously or something. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, for me, historically, the, the significance here is just Joe Quesada stepping into that editorial role yeah. you know because you think of what comes out of this and it's it's industry changing but who knows you know at this stage it's sort of like the experiment begins <laughs> good to go mm -hmm. okay favors like follow subscribe to the youtube channel hit the bell we'll notify you when new vids are available what's out there jimmy hulk grand design tell your local comic shop you want hulk grand design monster put in your pool box uh pre-order that let them know to order big on it 
Um, and you can join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can see me starting to put together the, uh, the Hulk Grand Design book collection, and you can see some of the original art and process behind Hulk Grand Design. You have a link tree in the description below this video where the Kayfabe community can get to all those links for pre-order and such. Uh, there's a link tree in the description below for my stuff as well. You can get to all of my comics, the Hip Hop Family Tree stuff, WYSIWYG, uh, the current uh, project that I'm working on right now is Red Room Trigger Warnings. I, and it's going to start coming out on March 9th. Uh, you could pre-order it from that link tree, go to my Patreon and read those comics uh, right this very minute because I put them online before they hit paper. What else do we have, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below the video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below the video. Give them those margin orders, man. We're going to be on our way. Read more comics.